Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Is it hot enough for you out there? If the answer is no, just wait a few hours and it, it will be. Uh, it's, it's great to see you here and, and welcome back. Some of you are back for this this summer. It's good to see you. Uh, we're going to meet with our consultants in a couple of weeks to figure out how do we create more seats in this place. You can see uh, we're, we're needing God's blessing and we're growing it. And, and along that lines, uh, I just want to challenge you kind of my two cents uh, for this children's ministry. And one of our highest priorities here at Rocky Peak is, is our kids. And we're called to unleash a movement of what we call passionate Christ followers. That's our vision. And that starts with our own children. Amen? As I said, no higher calling. And so uh, a lot of our, our kids' classes, they're maxed out. They're, they're, they're going, and, and so we're continuing to grow there. And so uh, one thing Mike didn't mention is, you know, he he talked about how many classes, 33 classes we offer every week. But did you know it it, it takes 250 uh, volunteers to uh, kind of staff our our children's ministry on the weekend. And one of the reasons is is because we don't ask you to work uh, uh, both uh, all month. We ask you to work uh, kind of half time, like two weeks on, two weeks off, or uh, one one week and take a week off and come back every other week. Uh, Of course, we provide the sermons for you uh, online free of charge. You can listen and kind of keep up with things. Or you can kind of serve at one service and then uh, uh, go to one service, serve at another. But uh, we, we still need, uh, going into the fall, about 50 people uh, go, uh, that need to step up at this point, even after last week's uh, signups. And so uh, this service, we need about 25 people uh, to step up. And so I would just really, what we're looking for is people who, first of all, love Jesus, and second of all, love kids. and want to bring those two things together to, that we can help introduce our kids to Christ and, and start that lifelong journey of following him. And so uh, if, if that's got your name on it, if you feel like God kind of tugging at your heart, man, we would just love for you to do that. We could really use your help uh, serving kids, loving God, and then kind of ex- advancing the movement here at Rocky Peak as, as we continue to grow as a church. And so uh, that's that. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your very first time, a welcome about every service. We uh, ha- have new people. I, I know last service asked for a show of hands. I won't do that this time, but just sure enough, there's a lot of people here new. And we're just excited to have you. And so inside your program, you won't know this uh, if you're new, but inside there's a, a message note sheet we use every week, but we'll be using it especially a lot today. So you'll definitely want to take that out and uh, get, uh, open up. And then if you're all set, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited about what you're doing here as a church, and we just pray that uh, you would be here now, that you'd come as our teacher as we talk about this important topic of the workplace and what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in, in the workplace. We pray that you would come and just supernaturally open our eyes, teach, lead, guide, uh, mentor, convict, do whatever we need to do to represent you well, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're, we're continuing on this series that we've been in now for about seven or eight weeks, last couple months, uh, most of summer, and it's on the book of Proverbs. For those of you who knew, the book of Proverbs is, is one of the most uh, popular books in all the Bible, and one of the reasons is just so practical. It's like week after week, practical topic of practical. So we've talked about relationships, we've talked about speech, we've talked about sex, and this week the topic on the table for today is the workplace. Now, it's kind of hard for me to imagine a more important topic because for most of us here, unless you're retired, that for most of us here, uh, this is where we're going to spend a majority of our waking hours or at least some of our very most best waking hours every week is on the job. And whether that's inside the home, I know some of God has called some of you uh, to be homemakers and mothers full time, and there's really no higher calling than that. So whether it's inside the home or outside the home, uh, that this is where we'll spend uh, a majority or a big part 
part of our time. And yet as Christ followers, we often don't think about that. We, don't, we often don't spend a lot of time talking about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in the marketplace. Now, if you've been here throughout this series, you know that in the book of Proverbs, the big idea is that uh, there, in life, there's a path to life and there's a path to death. And so we need to choose wisely. And we've been going through different areas of life. And so that's what we want to do today. What does it look like to choose wisely and to walk the path of life in the area of the workplace? But before we jump into Proverbs, what I want to do first is take some time and set the groundwork uh, of doing some study together, some standing back. What does the Bible teach, kind of big picture principles about our job? Now, uh, uh, some of you here probably love your job. Some of you hate your job. There's going to be something for everybody today, all right? So there on your note sheet is a section called Work 101, The High Calling. So let me just jump in, three basic principles, going to lay some foundation, then we'll go into Proverbs. So number one, now some of you are not going to like this. Feel free to groan if you want to. They did last service. Uh, and the first principle the Bible says is that work is a good thing. Okay. Oh, we got some yes, we got some groaning going on. Yeah, and I, I realize that for some of you here right now that you're in a job that you absolutely hate. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. All right, there we go. So we got some action there. Uh, that some of you, you, I mean, you, you hate your job. You've got a two-hour commute. You work in Riverside or something. You, know, you, you, uh, you, you have back-breaking work that's just physically uh, demanding. You're getting paid minimum wage and not enough respect. You work for a boss that's not from heaven, from the other place, that, uh, <laughs> that you, you work with coworkers that are going to visit him there often, uh, that, that you know, you've got a tough life. And so I get that, and we're going to talk about that later some, but, but I get that. But the place where we have to start this journey journey as what God says about work is that, that work is a good thing. In other words, that, that work is something that you and I were created for, it's something we were designed for. It's part of the path to life for us. Uh, there on your note sheet, there's a great quote by uh, a guy named Tim Downs who wrote a book called Finding Common Ground. And he, he put it like this. He says, psychologists tell us that two of our most compelling needs are the, love, are the need for love and the need for work. So contrary to common belief, work is not a curse or the result of the fall, but it's, and a perfect world would not be a world of pure leisure. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I often think of naturally, work a perfect world. I'm sitting on the beach drinking my favorite drink, which I won't tell you what it is, but... Uh, <laughs> But, but I, I'm, I'm just kind of kicking back, and I'm in, you know, somewhere. I'm in Tahiti or something, right? And I think for a lot of us, we think that would be, that would be perfect. That, that must be what life was like before the fall. We just kind of kick around and just, you know, perfect relationships, kick around sitting on the beach. And that would be what, like, what like heaven is, is, is what heaven's about. We'll all have our big lazy boys up there, and we will just be kicking back, and, and, and we won't, won't have to do a thing. But, but that's not true. And so he goes on and he says, but the desire to work and to find fulfillment in it, catch this, is part of the human design. So I want to catch that, that God is a worker. And I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but God is a worker. He is the greatest creator. He is the ultimate designer. He is the number one builder in the universe. And when the universe breaks, he becomes the healer and he becomes the teacher, and he's the warrior, that God is the ultimate worker, and that you and I were created in his image. You were designed to make a difference. You were designed to do work. It's part of the path to life. Uh, now, 
And we see this uh, in the pages of the Bible from the very beginning. Like if you go back to the opening scenes of the Bible back in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates perfect world, perfect people. And so, so but you'd think, well, they're sort of sitting around, right? They're sitting on the beach, but they're not. They actually have a job to do. And so if you look there on your note sheet in uh, chapter 2 of Genesis, uh, anyway, so Genesis chapter 2 says, the Lord God took the man, and remember this was before sin entered the world, before we rebelled against him, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to, to what? Work. To work it. And so uh, uh, first man, first woman, they're created to be the king and queens of this whole new world, and, and their job is to create, their job is to build, their job is to work it, to design it, to rule it. We were created to be workers, and so here's what I want you to catch, that the ultimate goal for your life and mine is not to escape work, but to learn how to reclaim it for the kingdom. Now, obviously, and this is where the hard part comes in, we live in a fallen world. And, and our work is part of that fallen world, and that's why work is often the way it is. Uh, you remember that after we rebelled against God as a race, that there was a curse placed on our planet. And so there on your note sheet, God says to Adam in Genesis 3, cursed is the ground because of you through what kind of toil? Yeah, painful toil. You'll eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and by the what? The sweat of your brow. Uh, you will eat your food. And so, so just like everything else on planet Earth, we live in a fallen world. And that's why work has become what it is. And, and that's why we have two-hour commutes. And then that's why you have the boss that you do, or if you're a boss, why well, you have the employees you do. And, and so they're... they're <laughs> moving on. And so... Um, and so, we live, and so what that means is there are no perfect jobs. I don't care what the job is. Like even for those of you here who love your jobs, I can guarantee there are parts of your job you don't like, right? There is no perfect job. And on the, on the other end of the spectrum, there are some jobs that are certifiably hateful. I mean, they're, they're back-breaking labor. You know, you watch these guys, uh, uh, migrant workers, out in the field, and I just, my heart goes out to them every time. It's like, what is their life? I mean, that is just so painful to even, watch. Uh, some of you may have uh, low-paying jobs that are very demanding physically. Uh, some of you uh, really, you might have mind-numbing work. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mind-numbing work. It's just so boring. It's like Chinese water torture. You know, it's just like a ding, ding, ding. And, and so you... Uh, and so I get that. You, you may have that horrible boss or those em employees that even as a believer are persecuting you as a Christ follower. And so, so I get this, that, that work can be very painful. And yet the message of the Bible is not that the solution is to get away from work, but to reclaim our work for the kingdom, to reclaim what we were designed to do and, and to learn to move back towards the garden by learning how to work and reclaiming it for the kingdom. Does that make sense? Okay, so look at Ecclesiastes then uh, Solomon says, I know there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may in, uh, eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toil. That's what we want to try to do. Uh, this is a gift of God. Okay, so number one, work is a good thing. Number two, second thing, and, and we'll probably spend some time here, I'm pretty passionate about this, that, that God cares about your work. That God, as a Christ follower sitting here today, you're a follower of Jesus, God cares deeply about your work. Uh, and it's for a couple reasons, and I'll lay this out in just a minute. But this is so important because for many of us as Christ followers, we fall into this false paradigm that there's kind of a sacred or a spiritual part of our life, and there's a secular part of our life. And that God cares deeply about the spiritual, not so much about the uh, secular. 
So for example, we, we, hey, God cares about our time spent with him, our time in the word, time in prayer. He cares about our church. He cares about our life group. He cares about our family and how we lead it. He cares about our giving and our serving. And he cares about these spiritual kinds of things. But when it comes to my work, I mean, I just work, uh, I, I work on the sets at, at you know, NBC or whatever. I, I, I just kind of work down and I'm a barista at Starbucks. Uh, I, I work at uh, uh, Ralph's as a checkout person. And, and we just don't really see God being involved in that. He doesn't really care what we do. And so what we find in the Bible, though, is that God cares deeply about what you do and that when you become a follower of Jesus, that all of your life is spiritual. All of your life is spiritual and that God cares deeply and he cares about it for a couple reasons. One reason is, is he is wild about you. When you give your life to Jesus, you become his child. God goes crazy over you. You are his kid at everything you do and everything you touch, he cares about because he loves you. And, and like for those of you who have kids, you get this. Like earlier this week, we had a staff meeting and I was talking with uh, Dre, our new high school pastor, and, and he was talking, you know, his wife is expecting a child, uh, so is he, but you know, she's actually producing. And so... Uh, uh, they're expecting a child, and so the preschool director is there and saying, hey, next year, uh, at the end of the year, we'll have our end-of-the-year preschool uh, kind of party, you know, uh, open house pro- program that the kids put on, and you'll get to come to that. And he's like, I have to come to that? Well, yes, you'll have a baby, and you're in the preschool, and so you'll have to come in. And, and he's like, and I told him, just get used to it. <laughs> you are in for a lifetime of boring school programs. It's going to get awful. And, and, it get, you have, and you have multiple kids, it gets worse. And it's not going to end until they're 18. It's just going to keep on going, right? It's just like terminally boring children's programs. Now, I, know, I realize this, that some of you are out there saying, oh, mostly women, oh, but, but, but I, I like that. But, I mean, if you're a guy, can I have an, an amen? I mean, these things are just like, oh, my gosh, these are like, Oh, just kill me slowly, you know? Uh, it's like, this is so boring. Lynn would say, we got a children's program this week. Oh, you're kidding me. I think I've got something going, you know? Well, what is it? I don't know, but it's something. I, I just, you know, uh, and, and, and yet for 18 years, two kids, I went, never missed a what? Why? Why? Because I know that through suffering, <laughs> thank you very much, yeah, thank you. I never thought I'd pay off. This is the only thing it's ever good that's come from. <laughs> but, but why do I do that? Because I love my kids, man. I, I would walk over hot coals for my kids. If my kids are involved, I care about it. Not because I care about the thing. I don't care about these little crazy choirs singing and they're up there, woo, you know. It's like, I, but that drives me crazy. But, but I love my kids. I love my kids, right? And when you're a parent, you care about everything your kid does. And can I tell you something? Those of you right now, you're, you're in a tough job, or maybe you're not. You have a good job, but you're in a tough, can I tell you something? God cares deeply about your job. That He cares. He, he knows about the project you're working on right now, and you can't figure out how to solve this problem. Or he knows about those coworkers that are just so hard to work with, or that boss that's unreasonable, or the, or the politics in your office. And God knows everything about it, and he cares deeply because he cares about you. You're the apple of his eye, and he's locked on you. Right? He is locked on you, and he knows every detail of, of your work, and he wants to come alongside of you and meet you there and shape you and, 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 and teach you and train you. And so 
So that, that's one reason. He just loves about you. But can I tell you something else? Is that God cares about your work because this is the way God has designed the world. That God has designed the world as you find your calling and I find my calling, that we come together and we create culture. We create community. You see, as, as followers of Jesus, even as not, we're called to be commu- culture creators. This is the way the human race was designed. Right? You, even you go back and you need the blacksmith and you need the baker and you need the butcher and we all, put, we all make a culture together, right? And so, so from the very beginning, that what you do matters to God. It's the way he's designed the world to work. Now, let me tell you something. This is a great, uh, a great insight that was recaptured by the movement of Jesus during the Protestant Reformation. And so if you go back in time to about the fifth year, 1500, around 1500s, there was a great movement of God where we kind of recaptured some of the truths that had been lost over time. We call it the Protestant Reformation. And so you have men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and these kind of guys. And they went back to the scripture and they began to recapture some of the truths about Jesus and who he is and our relationship and how it works. And one of the truths they recaptured is, is the call to work. That how much God honors our work. And what had happened in the churches, there had become this, this paradigm that had developed over time that between there's a division between the secular and the sacred. And so if you were a priest, for example, your work was up here and it really counted and God cared. But if you were a blacksmith, your work was down here. It didn't really matter. And what the reformers and then later on the Puritans rediscovered in God's word is that no, when you're a believer that everything you do matters and your work matters to him and your work working at Starbucks is a barista as just a highest calling as my work as a pastor if God has called you there, right? If, if wherever God has called you and wherever he's placed you, that is his calling, and it's a high and holy calling. Uh, there in your note sheet, there's this great quote, again, from uh, Tim Downs, again, and he says, the early Puritans taught that when a person becomes a Christian, every place in the Christian's life becomes a spiritual place, including the place of work. The Puritans taught that Christ's lordship extends to every area of our lives, and the new Christian should stop thinking of his work and start thinking of his vocation, in other words, his calling, the specific way in which God has called him to have an impact on the world as a Christian. They taught that all professions are spiritual to, to, uh, to the Christian, not because of the work, but because of the presence of God. The, the, the ground around the burning bush, and of course he's referring to the burning bush, you know, Moses, bush is on fire, walks up, God says, take off your shoes, which is why I always wear sandals, so I'm ready, but take off your shoes, uh, because if God shows up, I don't want to have you unlacing high tops, but uh, he says, take off your shoes, because the ground where you're standing is holy. Now, why was that ground holy? Because God was there, okay? And so he says, the ground around the burning bush Uh, was ordinary dirt, but the presence of God made it holy. And when a Christian who's a temple of the Holy Spirit, and so when you came to Jesus, his spirit came in, your body became an extension of his, your body's a part of his temple. He says, uh, when a Christian, the temple of the Holy Spirit, walks into an office at IBM, or I'd say Ralph's, or or, uh, High Rise, or wherever you work, uh, then IBM becomes a spiritual place. Okay? So, So your work matters to God, that what you do is a high and holy call, assuming you're doing something, catch this, that's for the common good, okay? That your work becomes an act of service to God, an act of love to our culture, the community, as we build community together, we're called to be community builders, assuming it's for the common good. Now, if you work for the mafia or something, of course, that's not so true, but <laughs> now, uh, so part of this means that not only does God care about your work, but then God wants to mentor you in your work. 
All right, so, so that God wants to come alongside of you and teach you, catch this, how to do your job as if Jesus were doing your job. Okay, it's like, like if Jesus worked as a barista at Starbucks, how would he do his job? I think it would be awesome. I think your drink would be perfect every time. You know, if, if Jesus was a checker at Ralph's, if Jesus was an accountant, if Jesus were an attorney, uh, if Jesus, like, what, how would he do your job if he had it? And that, and that he wants to come alongside of you and he wants to mentor you. You know, when you have a project at work and you're trying to figure it out, you can't figure it out, do you know what? He wants to mentor you to help you figure that out. When, you, when you've got uh, uh, challenges with your boss, he wants to teach you how to. Be. In fact, I really believe this, that our workplace is one of the greatest places of discipleship because it's in our work that, that we spend so much time and energy and plays such an important part. Can I tell you something? It's at your work that Jesus is going to teach you how to trust him. It's at your work that Jesus is going to teach you how to love the unlovely. It's at your work that Jesus is going to teach you how to love your enemies, it's, as you work, you're going you're to learn to depend on him for insight on how to succeed on your job. Your work is a place of incredible uh, 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 encounter with God if you're open to it. Like if you're open to that. Uh, and, and let me say this especially to those who hate your jobs right now. Because I, I know you're out there. Right? Uh, you just absolutely hate your job. Let me tell you something. That what I've found is that it's in your place of job, uh, of, of work, that God often shapes our character more than any other area of our life. That, that often the reason he has you there, it's not a, just about a paycheck. You think you're there because you can't find work somewhere else. Can I tell you something? You think you're there because it's a bad economy. You think you're there because it's the only job available. Can I tell you something? That you may be there because God is shaping you at a core level to be like Jesus. And it's there you're going to learn to endure hard times. It's there you're going to learn how to surrender your will to him. It's there you're going to learn how to trust him and that he's going to shape you and prepare you for your future because of what you're doing now on your job. You know, in the Bible, think of three examples. Joseph, working as a slave first and then in a prison and how God prepared him for his future. Think of Daniel, working for a horrible pagan king they would just kill people at a whip. And yet God taught him and equipped him to serve there with great wisdom. And he, became, he rose up in that pagan administration and, and, and he became a, a, a force for good in a pagan culture. You think of David doing one of the most despised and uh, kind of lowest jobs on the totem pole for years, shepherding sheep. And yet God taught him lessons, preparing him for his future. So can I, can, I, can I speak into your lives for a second? If you're here, you're in a tough job, you hate it. I want to open up your eyes and say that the reason you're there may not be just about the job, that God is doing something very deep and profound, shaping you to be like Christ. And, and that may be why you're there. And once you learn that, there may be time for something else. Okay, so, so number two, God cares deeply uh, about your job. Now, number three, the third big picture principle is that God cares about how you work. And not only cares about what you do, but he cares about how you approach your job. You know, in the, in the Roman Empire, at uh, the time of the New Testament, some scholars estimate that up to 70% of the population were slaves. Did you know that? That huge amount of the Roman Empire were slaves. And so, of course, they had different kinds of roles, some back-breaking labor, uh, uh, some, you know, high positions of teaching kids, and different kind of roles. But, um, 
But because there were so many slaves, that when the movement of Jesus broke out, a lot of the first believers were slaves. And that's why you see in the New Testament, there's so much instructions. If you're a slave, here's how to be a slave. Now, I don't know how you feel about your job, but even if you hate your job, chances are you wouldn't change it for slavery. You know? And so these guys, were at, these guys were at the bottom of the career path, right? They, this, they're at the bottom. And so what, kind, what, what will Paul say to them? Here's how to follow Jesus in your career, not chosen career, the one chosen for you. Here's how to follow Jesus. And there's some great principles, and there's many passages like this. But we're going to look at one. It's in Colossians chapter 3 there in your note sheet. He says, slaves, so this is kind of, I'm to apply this to your job. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. So you, you may be more of a wage slave, but anyway, apply it to you. Uh, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you, but to win their favor. So underline that. He says that one of the marks of a Christ follower is, is we don't serve uh, on the job to, to impress people. That's not what we do. Well, we're not trying to, just like when the boss is around, we work hard. When the boss isn't around, we work a different speed. That that's not what we are. We, we, we work with what he calls sincerity of heart. That's what he says next, with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. He says, whatever you do, work at it with what? We'll say it again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. So you make coffee, uh, at Starbucks, do it with all your heart. You clean toilets at the local gas station, do it with all your heart. You're a CEO at a Fortune 500 company with a corner office and suite, work at it with all your heart. You're just going back to school as a school teacher right now. You're going to do it with all your heart. You work for, for the gas and, and electric company. Okay, all you, see, it doesn't matter what you do. He says, do it with all of your heart. Now, why? Then he goes on and he says, because you're working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, he will reward you for this. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Now, I want to just I wanna put neon lights. I want to just box this up because we don't talk about this every week. We don't talk about the workplace a lot here. Maybe we should talk about it more. But, but I want to put neon lights on because I don't want you to miss this. I want you to make a personal connect right now. I, wanna, I want you to think of your job right now where you work. I want to get in your mind. If, if, you're, if you're a homemaker, I want you to picture 5.30 in the morning getting up to feed those kids. You know, if you work, at, uh, you, you work at the post office, you're delivering mail, get, get it fixed, whatever you work, and I want to drive this home. I want you to catch this. Do you realize you work for Jesus in that job? This is the New Testament teaching. Whatever job right now, your real boss is not your boss. Your real boss is your boss's boss the one who's the boss of the universe, right? And, and that as Christ followers, whatever you do, you are to do it as if you were reporting directly for Christ. And when you do, it becomes an offering of worship, right? And it transforms whatever you do, no matter how menial or backbreaking or frustrating, it transforms that into an offering of worship. Are, are, are you with me on this? You get this? It's so important. As a church, we get this. We're going to come back to this later. I want you to get that, right? So then he goes on. Um, and so, so here's the basic teaching then. Uh, work is a good thing. Yeah, we live in a fallen world that's gotten messed up, but the solution's not to not work, but to learn how to do it as a Christ follower. God cares deeply about your work, not only because he loves you passionately, but because work is a good thing. It's the way he's designed the universe 
to work, we're to, we're to do our part. It's the way we love God. It's the way we serve one another. And then he cares how you approach your work, uh, that you work well. Now, with that as a foundation, we're ready to go into Proverbs, right? So Proverbs kind of assumes this. It assumes work is a good thing. It assumes that this is the way life is designed, that we all, we're all going to work and we're all going to work hard. And he kind of assumes certain things. But what Proverbs is going to tell us is here's the path to life. Like if you want to live life to the fullest, if you want to experience life the way it's designed to live, he's let me talk to you about work and how to approach your job. And so he's going to give us three very practical principles. And so what I've done is take all the teaching about work in Proverbs and kind of narrow it down into three uh, practical principles. Here we go. There in your note sheet, you have the section called Work 201, The Steps to Success. And so number one, uh, the first thing Solomon's going to say is you need to work hard. Like, if you want to be successful in life, you need to develop a strong, what we'd call, a work ethic. You need to really learn. It's something you need to learn if you want to, to walk the path. Let me, catch, let me put it this way. If you don't learn this lesson, life will not go well for you. Okay? Can I tell you something? For those of you who have kids here, this is such an important lesson. There's very few things more important than to teach your kids than how to work hard. One of the things, the worst thing you can do for kids is to give them whatever they want whenever they want it. Like it's one of the very ways. You, you need to teach your kids uh, how to work hard. They, they should have chores. You know, you need to have certain things they can earn money. They don't just give them what they want. You have got to teach them systematically how to work, right, and how to save and how to achieve because this is one of life's most important lessons to live well. And if you don't learn this, life is not going to work well for you. And, and you're going to cause pain to yourself and everyone around you, right? And some of you, 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 may, you, you know people like this, you have kids like this, you're married to someone like this or whatever, but you know how painful it is to be around someone who, who has to have like dynamite underneath them to get them going, right? Just why, and I want you to catch this because this is how God has designed it. God has designed life that by the sweat of our brow we will eat, that's how he's designed it, okay? And so this is for our benefit, right? And so we need to learn how to work well. Now, just to be clear here, I won't spend much time here, but just to be clear, I'm not talking about being a workaholic. The Bible is big on rest. It's big on balance and stuff like that. Uh, uh, Lord willing, I plan to do a series at the beginning of the year called The Simple Life. Talk about simplifying our life and a little more balance and stuff like that. But, but so I'm not saying being a workaholic, but at the same time, Proverbs is really big. If you want to walk the path of life, you need to develop a strong work ethic. Now, let's just run through some examples. There in your note sheet. Some positive, some negative. Some say this is what to do. Some say this is what not to do. But, but here we go. Proverbs 28 is the first one. He who works his land will have abundant food. In other words, if you want to walk the path of life, you need to, you know, you've got to uh, plot a land, work your land, you know, stay on task, uh, uh, plant at the right time, uh, weed at the right time, water at the right time, work your land so you have a harvest. And he says, he who ch- but he who chases fantasies will have a fill of poverty. And so there's always people out there who have a kind of how to a quick, you know, how to, how to get rich quick scheme or whatever, or some scheme in order how to succeed in life without working. Right, and, and so uh, they're always getting you know, this, this new thing, this new thing, whatever. But but they never succeed. They just they end up empty-handed. And next one, Proverbs twelve twenty four: Diligent hands will rule. In other words, if you you work hard, you stay on task, you do your job, you will rise up to a place of leadership, or you'll be blessed. But he says on the opposite side, laziness ends in slave labor. You go to the to the the, the bottom of the food chain. Right. Uh, uh, 
uh, and then there's this constant warning on the flip side, there's some positive, some constant warning against the danger of procrastination. Uh, Solomon's favorite uh, uh, term for the lazy person is the sluggard. Now, I, I love this. It's like automatopoeia, you know, sluggard. You just kind of kind of feel it like the slug. But uh, anyway, he, so he goes on and he says, let's look at some of those. Proverbs 24. A sluggard doesn't plow in season. What's he mean? He's a procrastinator, right? It's time to plow, but he doesn't plow in season. He misses opportunities. And so at the harvest time, when it comes time for his paycheck, he looks and finds nothing. Proverbs 13, 4, the sluggard craves and gets nothing. We have desires. We have desire for food, clothing, shelter, the things of life. And he says the sluggard craves but gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Uh, Proverbs 19, the sluggard, I love this one, buries his hand in the dish, but he will not even bring it back to his mouth. You know, so he's, he's like Thanksgiving and, oh, it's too much work. Can you help me here? Just kind of give me a, a bite. I'm really hungry. I like some of that dressing. Uh, next one, Proverbs 10, 4, lazy hands make a man poor, diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 20, 13, do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. And so, so what, what Solomon wants us to add, this is how God has designed life to work. And so if you want to be successful, if you want to provide for yourself, provide for your family, those who love you, uh, be a blessing to the world and so on, the movement of Jesus, you need to develop a strong work ethic. And then the, the, the crazy thing is, is that often we don't along with, we don't. In fact, there in your note sheet, I remember about 10 years ago, I was reading this book by John Maxwell, and, and there he puts a quote. He says, a recent survey of workers across the United States revealed that nearly 85% of those interviewed said they could work harder on the job. Now, frankly, that one doesn't surprise me, right? Because, you know, okay, you, you get that. But it's the next statement, but more than half claimed that they could double their effectiveness if they wanted to. Right? And you think of where our culture is going. Can I, and can I tell you something? I see this as a bigger problem, not a lesser problem than 10 years ago. Man, we live in a culture today that's increasingly think we're entitled. Right? We, we, we think that just by showing up, we, we should get paid. It's like, it's like an honor. You know, it's just to have me on your team, just shell out the money. You know? That, that we, we, we're, we're, we're forgetting uh, that as a nation, our prosperity was based on hard work. And, and so we're becoming the entitled uh, nation. Right, we always, and, and what's happening is killing us. It's killing our productivity, and it's going to kill us in the future. And so, uh, Solomon says, "Yeah, let's go back to God's word." Uh, God's word says, "If you want to, uh, you know, to, to do well in the path of life, you've got to have to work hard." Now, let me tell you this: uh, I, as I've thought about this, I think there's kind of three kinds of people when it comes to work ethic, and I'd like you to kind of think which kind you are. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, um, but. Uh, when I've thought about this, when I think of people, I think there's some people that seem to be almost like naturally born with a work ethic. You know, you know what I'm talking about? There's certain people, like if you had kids, you may have seen this, you, you know, this kind of kid that's just like they always want to kind of get their work done before they go play, and, and you're going like, oh, where do I get one of those kids? But, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like their DNA. They're just kind of, they're kind of uh, driven to achieve or whatever, and, and they're just from day one, they seem to get this. There's a connection between life going well and working hard, and they just kind of get this, and it's kind of natural. Uh, the second kind of person is a person it's not natural for, but somewhere along the way, they learn the lesson. 
So maybe as a kid, it's not really that way, but their parents really train them well, and over time it pays off. Uh, or maybe they have a high school coach and a football team that breaks the lazy streak in them, or, or they get into the Marine Corps, and, and then they, they, you know, they, they become one of the few, the proud of the mighty, uh, and they, they, they learn this lesson. But somewhere along the line, we learn the lesson, and then from that point on, it kind of paves the way for our success. Uh, and then there's a third kind of person that they just never really learn this. They never really get this connection that there is that there's a, a connection between hard work and success in life. And so they go through life just being painful to themselves and everyone around them. And, and, so, and sometimes they're believers. And sometimes they're in our life groups. Would you pray for me because I don't have the And it's like you can see that, hey, you know, there's a connection here. You know, there's like, there's a lesson here as a Christ follower that no, God is not gonna bless you. No, God is not gonna provide that need. That he says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. That, that, that there's a connection here that what needs to happen as a Christ follower is you need to let the Holy Spirit mentor you because this is the path to life. Okay, so number one, uh, Solomon says work hard. So the question I have for you, and, and let, me, let me say this, I don't really care what you think of yourself at this point. Like, because I've met a lot of people that's like, oh, I'm a hard worker. Everyone around is looking like, what? Are you talking about you? I, I, I thought you were talking about you. Uh, so here's my question. Would those who know you best, if you're, if you're a homemaker and it's at home, so it would be your family probably, or if you're out in the, the world and you have a secular job, would those who know you best, who work with you, would they say that you're a hard worker? Are you the kind of person that comes early, stays late, stays on task, takes responsibility, job assigned, job done? Is that you? Or are you the kind of person that honestly your coworkers would say, you're kind of a good enough person? You know, that you, your whole attitude towards your job is that's good enough. That's good enough. And, and you kind of do the least, uh, least required not to get fired. That's, your, that's your, kinda, your motto in life. Least required not to get fired. That's my goal in life. I'm shooting for mediocre, and I am right on target. Um, okay. uh, number two. Okay, so first work hard. The second one is to take initiative. One of the things you see in Proverbs, one of the marks of, of the, the successful worker is that they take initiative. In other words, they, they don't need a lot of supervision. That their, their drive comes from the inside, not the outside. They don't need a boss looking over their shoulder. We saw this in Colossians. Do you remember that? He said, work as if for the Lord. And, and he said, uh, and, you know, don't just kind of work hard when the boss is around. You remember that? So that's the idea that, that we, we need to be people that the, uh, the, the mark of a successful person is they take initiative. That They're always hungry to learn, to grow. What more can I do? They don't just worry about their job. They, they kind of get their job done. But like, how else could I work in this company? What else could I learn? They, they, they don't just look at their area. They look at the whole company or, or, or business or whatever and how could we improve the whole. And so they're just kind of hungry to learn and hungry to contribute. And, and as a result, uh, they tend to get blessed. They tend to go up. They tend to be honored because uh, you, you, those of you who own businesses, you know this. We're looking for people like this, right? We're looking for people who not just do their job, but they're going to work hard and they're going to be saying, how can, what else can I do and how can I grow and how can I be better? And if you own a business, you know this that you look for those kinds of people, and, and you should know this, that, man, those kind of people are people you want to say, man, I want to invest in them. I want to raise them up. I want to, I want to get, help them get more training. I want to help them develop. I want to help them grow because you understand your organization will never rise above the level of leaders you have in your organization. So when you find someone who's taking responsibility, working hard, taking initiative, you take care of that person. And that's what Proverbs says. 
This is exactly how it works. So in Proverbs 6, I love this. It says, um, go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> Do you see the humor in that? Uh, it's like, very funny to me. It's like, hey, sluggard, <clears throat> I'm going to make this very simple for you. Find an ant. Anyone will do. I right, find an ant. The last couple of nights, I was sitting on our front porch. We have all these ants in this single line. I'm just kind of watching them, thinking about this. Just find an ant. Just kind of watch what they do. Have you ever seen ants? They're amazing. Like, they're, they might be the only ant there in the middle of nowhere, but there's their buddy, George, who just died, and they're going to drag him back to wherever. <laughs> Come on, George. Wait, never leave a man behind, you know. We're like the Navy SEALs. Come on, they got that mantle from us. And so uh, you, you watch ants, and they, they just, they're very just focused people. People? <laughs> uh, so uh, just go on. Uh, so let's look at what he says. Go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider its ways and be wise. So here's his point. Hey, they have no commander. There's no overseer. There's no ruler. There's no boss. But they store their provisions in summer and they gather their food at harvest. They take initiative. Can I tell you something? I heard this a long time ago. In fact, I remember exactly where I was standing when I heard this. Uh, like, I, I'm pretty unobservant of my environment, but when I learn something, I can almost picture the place, you know? And so uh, I was in our bathroom, I was shaving, and I was listening to a tape on leadership, and, and this guy said something that just really stuck with me. He said, you know, in life, there, most people are kind of one of two kinds of people. He said, there's some people in life who start things really well, like they always have a new idea and they get energized by new ideas. And so they're always starting new things, but they rarely finish them. He said, there's other kinds of people, you almost need to stick a dynamite under them to get them going. But assuming you can, that once they're on task, they, they just kind of like the ant, they just kind of carry it out and they finish. But then he said this, but those people who are successful in life are people who've learned both to start and to finish. Take initiative, you see. And so, um, so what's that look like? Well, there on your note sheet, Proverbs 27. Here's a great proverb about taking initiative. He who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who looks after his master will be honored. Uh, you have a fig tree in the backyard. He says if you fertilize it, you water it, you prune it, guess what? It's going to produce good fruit, isn't it? It's going to take care of you. Take care of the fig tree. It takes care of you. He says, guess what? Bosses are the same way. He says bosses have a hard job. They've got a lot of responsibilities. So take care of your boss. Pay attention to your boss. What are their goals? What are, what are her dreams? What's her vision? What does she care about? Uh, and we're going to take care of our boss, and we're going to come alongside, and we're going to say, how can I help, right? I'm going to do my job, but how can I learn? How can I grow? How can I help you out? They take initiative. And he says, guess what? Then your boss will take care of you. This is a great example of taking initiative. On the flip side, you know, the procrastinator, the person who doesn't, look at the next proverb. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road a fierce lion roaming the streets. Like, I can't go out and look for a job. There might be a lion. He might eat me, you know? Uh, uh, for the procrastinator, the person who doesn't take an initiative, you don't need a great excuse. Anyone will do, right? There's, there's always a good reason why today isn't, the, what, what, today isn't a good day to get started or today isn't a good day to, to finish or whatever. And so he says, uh, Proverbs, uh, Solomon says that, that the person who's not an initiator, they're always going to have an excuse. They're always going to have an excuse. 
Okay, so he says, if you want to be successful, path to life, the way God's designed it, work hard, uh, take initiative. So the question I'd ask you then, is that with those who know you best in the home or uh, out in the workplace, would they say you're a person who takes initiative? Are you a person who is quick to jump in? Are you a person that's quick to take on more responsibility? Are you a person that is a problem solver, not a problem finder? (laughs) You know the difference? There's some people, their gift is finding problems. And as a boss, you don't want to see those kind of people, right? Because they always have a problem. As a boss, you want to look for people who are problem solvers. That they, they come to you and say, hey, there's this problem over here. I don't know if you've seen it. I've thought about this. And here's a couple things I think we could do to maybe address that. You see, that's a, that's a person who takes initiative, right? And so, so are you a person that takes a lot of responsibility uh, or a lot of supervision? Like when you're on the job, do you work harder when the boss is there when not? Do, do you take a lot of supervision or do you take initiative? Are, are, you, are you with me? You following this theme? Okay, now it's the third one. The third, the third point the proverb says is do your best. In other words, when it comes to your work, serve with excellence. Uh, have a passion for what you do no matter what it is. Uh, remember what we learned earlier in Colossians, and that's why I put neon lights around that. I said whatever you do, work at it with what? All your heart. Doesn't matter what, you're a slave. You're a slave. You're a slave. You're, you're, you're out there cutting down grain. All your heart. You're a slave. You're digging ditches. All your heart. You're a slave teaching the, 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 the children. You're a pedagogue in, in the family, and you're teaching the children. All your heart. And, and so for us, the, the thing is, whatever you do, do it with passion. Do it your best. Do it as if for Jesus. Whether, whether you're, you're, you're managing a company at a very high level or you're, you're, you're kind of an entry-level person, do your best. Serve, serve the best. And here's how Proverbs puts it. He says, do you see a man skilled in his work? Proverbs 22. Uh, he, will not, he will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure uh, men. Uh, in other words, uh, the person who works hard and takes initiative and they work at, their goal is to become like the best at what they do, one of the best. Like, is that your goal? Is your goal where you work, you're a doctor, is it your goal to be like one of the very best doctors in your, in your healthcare organization? You know, you're, you're a mortgage lender. Is it your goal to be like one of the best at what you do? You, you are on it. You are responsible, you return phone calls, you are attention to detail on the paperwork, you stay on schedule, you, you serve with excellence at what you do. He, he says this, that he says, in our work, we need to work to be skilled at what we do, to become the very best that we can at what we do. And he says, if you will, guess what? That you will be honored for that. You, you will not stay at the bottom. Why? Because the world is looking for excellence, right? Like when you go out to get your car worked on, you don't like send out an email to your buddies and say, hey, does anyone know whether there's a, a mediocre car dealer uh, who does kind of like half-shod work uh, that, you know, is basically charges too much, doesn't, anyone got a good clue for me, right? We're saying we're looking for excellence. Uh, and so, so uh, he says, serve with excellence, you'll be uh, rewarded for that. Now, up to this point, up to this point, 
what we've really been talking about is the path to life and your personal life, right? Like what, the, what we're saying is, what would the Bible say, what does God say about choose wisely in this area of career? How do you choose wisely so that, so that you will walk the path of life, you'll be able to provide for yourself, your family, uh, those who are less fortunate, the movement of Jesus. Uh, that you'll, it's really been focused on you and the path. But can I tell you something here, that when we come to this topic, there is such uh, there's something so much bigger than you that's at stake. And, and what's at stake here very clearly is the reputation of Jesus. And, and I want to talk to you from my heart as a church. Right? This is, from my heart as your pastor, I want to talk to you heart to heart here for a second. Do you understand that the reason we are here is to advance the cause of Jesus? Your life and my life, we are here to make Christ's followers. We are here to take the message of Jesus to those who don't so their lives can be transformed and so he can be honored. That's why you're here on planet Earth. That's why I'm here. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about his name, right? His reputation, his fame, his agenda. Are you with me in this? Okay. Now here's what I'm saying, that this is what we don't understand, that one of the most important areas we advance the cause of Jesus is through the workplace, and I'm not talking about like sharing your faith with someone, though obviously there's an uh, important part of it. I'm talking about just the way you work. Because nothing will give us more credibility in the workplace to share the message of Jesus than doing our job well. And nothing robs us of our credibility faster than doing our job poorly. Like, have you ever worked in a place, I hope it's not you, but have you ever worked in a place where there's someone, everyone knows they're a Christian and they're the worst example for Jesus? Like they're the person in the lunchroom, they're praising the Lord for this and hallelujah for that, and you just want to say, would you please just shut up? You are such a bad advertisement for what Jesus does. Like, if, like you would advance the cause of Jesus just by saying nothing. Like the best thing you could do is go incognito, and the movement of Jesus here would go further. Right? In fact, maybe you could take it to the next level. Just start letting people know you're really a Jehovah's Witness. You know? <laughs> Man, here, here's a card that says Buddhist on it. Could you just like, you know, put your, you know, be, because what happens oftentimes is that, is that we're claiming to be Christ followers, but people around us, they're looking and saying, if that's what Jesus does when he comes into a life, I want none of that. Right? Because you're the biggest complainer around here. Like you're always gossiping about someone or something. When there's hard work to be done, you're the last to jump in. You come late, you leave early, you have a bad attitude, you're not a team player, you're very, you're very uh, kind of territorial guarding your area. And if that's what Jesus does when he comes into a life, I don't want anything to do with it. Are you with me in this? But, but on the other hand, when you see someone that they're there, they're coming early, they're working hard, they're on task, they're good with people, they're positive, they're, they're looking for solutions, they're contributing, they're growing, there's something about you're attracted to a person like that, and, and sooner or later they're going to come and they're going to want to, I hear you have, you know, I hear you talking about church, where do you go to church, or I hear you talking about your life group, what is a life group, or I hear you talking about your kids and going to Christian camp, and they're going to begin to explore, and they're going been to probe. Why? Because they want something that you have. There's something about your life that's attractive. And, and a big part of it is the way you approach your job. And so we have to get this. Our jobs are a high and holy calling. 
They are a high and holy calling. We are working for him, but we are platforming Jesus wherever we go, 24-7. And when you find a man or a woman who is serving like that, people are drawn. People are drawn. And can I tell you something? It builds a platform on which you can share the message of Jesus. And there in your note sheet, the Apostle Paul talks about this, and he's talking about slaves again, same topic, workplace kind of stuff. But look what he says in Titus chapter 2. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them. Okay, so you've got this great attitude going on. You've got this slave, he's, he's going to be obedient, he's going to do what he's asked, but he's also got a great attitude. He's really trying to please and he's not going to talk back to them, so he's not disrespectful, doesn't have a surly attitude. He's not going to steal from them, so he's very trustworthy. You can trust him with anything, but to show them they can be fully trusted, catch this, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior, what? Attractive. You see? He says, hey, you're a slave. I know you're a slave. You have no control. You've got this lousy job. You're going to be a slave for life. There's no career path. But God has you there. So here's how to do it. I want you to do a great job. I want you to have a great attitude. I want you to serve well. I want you to be fully trusted. But why? Because you're there representing Jesus. And I want you to make the gospel attractive. And so wherever you are, be that kind of person that says, is that what Jesus does with a life? I'm interested in learning more about that. Amen? Amen. Now, I'll tell you what, I, I dream of a day where, where people will be fighting over getting employees from Rocky Peak. It's like, you, know, it's like, you got one of those people? How'd you get them? Big bonus or something? It's like, like everyone I've got, that, if, I had, if I had 10 more of those, I'd love, I've got 10 more, I would love, everyone of my staff came from right there. They're hardworking, great attitude. They are sharp people. They're wanting to grow. They care about the customer. They're going the extra mile. I can fully trust them. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? And so, so that's what the movement of Jesus is about. Your work matters. It matters to God. And this week, as you go back to the office or you go this afternoon to Flip Burger, whatever you're doing, I, I want to challenge you. You're a Christ follower, right? You're a Christ follower. That means what you do matters. And you are representing him. And everything you do is to be done for him. And as you serve him well, his name will be lifted up, your life will be blessed, you'll be on the path to life, and people will come to Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are just so hungry for your name to be lifted up. God, there is no deeper passion in my life that your name would be lifted up, that people would know who you are, they would realize who you are, and they would fall on their knees, and they would worship you, and they would give you their lives, and they would be transformed to be like you and become an advertisement for what you can do in a human life. And God, as a church, we embrace that vision, Lord. We, we embrace that. We embrace your name. We live for your name. We say, hallowed be your name. And God, we realize today the high calling of work, that you care about what we do. It's where you shape us. It's where you mold us. It's where you use us. And so, God, we pray as we give you this such an important area of our life that by your Holy Spirit, you would come now and mentor us. You would do, just like we said, that Jesus, you would teach us how to do our job the way you would do it if you had our job. And that is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's good to be together, isn't it? Just to gather up each weekend and to come into his presence and say, Jesus, what do you have for us today? We're here to listen. We're here to learn. We're here to follow. And, and so may God use this message in your life. And may he speak to you about your job, whether it's one you're fortunate enough you love or, or one that you absolutely hate. This is a high calling. 
and that, that all we do, we're to do it for him and so that his name would be honored and your life would be blessed and you'd walk the path of life. I hope you can join us next week as we continue this journey in Proverbs. Very excited about uh, the message next week. I know it's kind of unusual for me to get excited, but uh, this, this, uh, the message is, is just, it's going to be great. It's, um, it's called Mid-Course Corrections. One of the most profound lessons that Proverbs teaches is that the path to life, the, the wise person wasn't necessarily born that way, but they got that way by listening to correction over the course of their life. That, that the smart person is not necessarily born smart, but they, they, the reason they got so smart is because they were willing to listen to those who wanted to speak in their life words of correction, whether it's parents, more younger, friends, colleagues, uh, uh, leaders in our life. And so uh, next week we're going to talk about mid-course corrections and, and the path to wisdom that happen. We're open to that. And so I'm very excited about that. Until then, may the Lord be your strength, your guide. May he be your first love, your deepest passion, your top priority. And may you serve him this week well in whatever career he's called you to for his name's sake, his glory, and that you might walk the path of life. God bless. Love you guys. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.